As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us for this special bonus episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. This podcast episode is being brought to you on behalf of the Leadership Council for Nonprofits. And this year's Securing the Future conference that we once again for the third year in a row have had the pleasure of being a partner with. Uh, We're so thankful for Jack Fitzgerald and for Jenny Berg to be a part of this. And today we get to welcome the keynote speaker of the March 4th 2021 Securing the Future Conference, Vanessa Mason. Vanessa is the Research Director of the Institute for the Future. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. It is a pleasure. So you're going to be unpacking the discussion around belonging and why through your organization, you're focusing on this work is what we want to be able to talk about today and be able to just give a preview of what the future of belonging means, what brought you to this research and information, and how you're going to inspire the crowd on March 4th at the Securing the Future conference. So could you share, Vanessa, a little bit about your work that has led you to focus so much on belonging, giving some context of the past and bringing us to where we are today? Yes, happy to do that. So for those of you who may not be familiar with Institute for the Future, we are a now 50-plus-year-old nonprofit. I forget the exact year now because what is time? But in any event, we were our three co-founders spun out of the Rand Corporation and basically decided to start the Institute because they were some of the earliest pioneers of packet switching. And so they were looking at this technology as as world-changing as we all know it to be today. And so really wanted to consider the impact of how technology was going to evolve and its impact on society and the reciprocal relationship of how society also was going to change in response to technology as well. And so in my work at the Institute, I focus on a wide range of projects, but how I arrived at belonging is doing something that futurists often do, which people forget about, is that you look to the past. So you're really trying to understand history because By looking at history, you can understand how we arrived at our present, and you can also start to understand what might be some of those forces really shaping our future as well. And so in my work at IFTF, I saw three key forces that specifically were influencing belonging. One is growing loneliness. So I think there's been a ton of headlines about the loneliness epidemic. Of course, certainly with the pandemic, it's gotten somewhat worse. But basically, there's a lot of people and not just young people, not just strictly elderly people, but overall feel that they have a lack of meaningful relationships in their lives. And this has a number of different health impacts. It has obviously a number of different kinds of social impacts and economic ones as well. The second force that I was really looking at is sort of this growing disaffiliation. So in an American context, you know, historically, a lot of people were a part of religious institutions or sort of houses of worship. They belonged to social clubs. And so there were ways and places that they were gathering with and kind of had broader networks of people. 
in communities that they were taking part in, all of that is going down for a, a number of different reasons. So kind of fewer places to find sort of weak ties and more distant friends and colleagues. And then this third force is really around displacement, that we are simply moving around a lot more, both voluntarily as well as often involuntarily, whether you're looking at gentrification inside of communities and sort of the shifts that that happens within neighborhoods, looking at climate change and sort of all the extreme weather events that we've all seen and some of us have, have lived through and the impacts that that has on communities and sort of people's ability to feel rooted and connected to broader communities and society at large. And so when I looked at those three forces, it's like, hey, well, those are three things that are really changing the way that we relate to those closest to us, you know, to those maybe in our more like kind of intermediate circles and well as sort of our overall sense of like how society is kind of hanging together and providing space kind of for, you know, for things to feel like they make sense and they seem rather negative for belonging. And so as me personally trying to be kind of optimistic about what could come next, I was just really intrigued about what are some of the ways in which we are reinventing belonging, looking at new tools, new approaches, because belonging is fundamentally a human need. We all have a need to belong, to feel that sense of safety and comfort, to feel emotionally connected with people who we trust, and to have that space for meaning and sense-making, to be able to kind of understand how the world works and what our purpose and our role is. And so that is how this work got started, was really just, there's a lot of pessimistic things that are happening in the sort of landscape of, of the world and things that are probably going to carry forward, um, especially as we look at what's next with the pandemic. So I just wanted to find what are areas of opportunity and, and, and sort of positivity and, and optimism. Vanessa, when you discussed this topic and you started researching it, how long have you spent time in researching belonging and the impact that the, the various changes you just shared or the amplification of what's happening with loneliness, disaffiliation and displacement? How long have you been studying that? So I've been looking at this for the last year, but I will also say that in prior work at the Institute, I, I look a lot at like health and healthcare and well-being. And so just looking at, especially from a kind of public health, more systemic level perspective, it's kind of noted those three forces along the way and, and doing a lot of that work. I think you can see in um, the Institute for the Future's post-pandemic scenarios that there's an, another sort of framework that we've outlined is sort of this notion of broken systems. So like seven different systems in the current landscape that are really kind of pointing towards what we basically are looking at, like a collapse scenario where just like everything sort of, because everything is systemically broken, that it could present this sort of terrible outcome, but it also represents an opportunity for transformation. And so looking at ways for us to move forward. So even those broken systems, like broken health systems, racial injustice, economic inequality, broken supply chains, political polarization. So those are all even like larger scale forces that are happening in the backdrop of the three that I just outlined. And they certainly kind of create a landscape of instability and chaos and volatility, all of which points to kind of like a make or break moment. And so it's been a long, long time coming with the research, but nevertheless, there's a unique opportunity in bringing people together to be able to envision optimistic opportunities, envision new approaches for looking how they can move through and we can build a better society and world together. Vanessa, can people go to iftf.org and learn more about all of this and subscribe and, you know, be educated to leverage the opportunity to help and create change? Is that the, the site they would go to? 
Yes. So you could certainly go to IFTF and, and look for the what's next, the pandemic scenarios. There's a toolkit along with that for cards for people to be able to kind of game out like what is your organization's pathway to transformation given, you know, all of these kind of interconnected broken systems. So I would certainly say that that's a great way to learn about that. The work about belonging that I've specifically been doing this past year is in my newsletters. There's a number of different sort of, I've been kind of started on this as an endeavor to kind of learn in public about this. So you'll see how my learning has evolved along the way and the kind of frameworks that I've outlined and looking at the sort of different facets of belonging that I've outlined. With the the opportunity to create positive change. So the, the leaders who attend the Securing the Future conference are all individuals who want to make a profound and legacy-giving impact. Is there anything for our listeners who aren't going to be able to attend that conference in person or via virtual? Anything that you can share to encourage us to think, how can we deal with the the troubles and the systemic problems that plagued many in our country? What can we do to create the change that's necessary to create freedom and create inclusiveness and equitable environments and and a belonging for all. Yes, definitely. That's part of the reason why I, the way that I've approached the newsletter kind of over time is one, just kind of providing a sense of of landscape. So there's a, a graphic that I have created that kind of looks like a, it looks like target practice, basically. There's a series of three concentric circles with the, the first one kind of divided in three arenas. So one thing is to know that belonging is what I've tried to do is sort of provide more structure around like what what we're talking about when we think about belonging and what are the sort of different kind of arenas where you can influence belonging. So those are identities, so kind of you know who you are, who you feel yourself to be and feeling connected to that place. So what are the sort of physical places and digital places in which people are are coming together? relationships inclusive of kinship, so family relationships, friend relationships, romantic relationships. The next circle is around kind of networks and communities. So what are the sort of broader, you know, not just social networks, but sort of like, you know, how we interact with broader kind of technological networks, so kind of human machine collaboration kind of networks. The communities that we are all in, again, both physical and digital communities. And then the last piece, the outermost circle is really looking at both narrative and looking at culture. So how can we tell different stories about who belongs and why they belong and what are the norms that are there? That's where the culture piece is really around values. What are the values that we hold dear? What are the values that we are committed to protecting? And so I think by looking at those sort of seven different areas, it's sort of like, okay, well, what's an area where I feel that I have influence in, that I'm interested in, that I have skills that you really can lean into? And then a lot of the different issues are sort of looking at kind of aspects of each of those seven arenas that can happen. So for example, I wrote one issue around celebrations because our celebrations actually tell a lot about who we are, what we value, what are the sort of rites of passage that we want to honor. And I just think that there's so much to be done in in finding both new ways to celebrate as well as new events to celebrate. You know, specifically, I think there's been a lot more attention paid to a lot of the COVID long haulers. And, you know, I think there's going to be a lot more sort of ceremony in much the same way that cancer kind of has remission and people really celebrate the end of remission. I think we're certainly going to see a lot of celebrations around kind of celebrating milestones with long COVID as well. And I think that those are good things and honoring, especially a lot of the younger people who are living with this maybe lifelong disability, but hopefully not. 
and finding ways to sort of honor their own strength and persistence and acknowledging that. So there's certainly both because there's there's so much wrong, there's also a lot of opportunity to sort of find ways of, of doing that. Well, I think what you describe is just that. I mean, by doing a little, if we all do a little, it can create a lot, right? Yes. And I like the comment you made of this sense of, I was on a call this morning where people were talking about the whole office and the impact of remote and how you know, you almost have to look at every situation from an employee standpoint as one-to-one, right? Because everyone's mm-hmm. walking through this experience very differently. The role of listening and the role of helping people has gotten very personal. But there are organizations who have to make the decision to bring everybody, you know, it's like it's time we got to bring people back. I mean, there's all kinds of conversations going on. And it's going to create a massive shift of the workplace, right? Yes. Because I think people are going to be very careful to align themselves with what fits themselves personally. Um, and I know we could say, well, that's always happened, but the world just shifted in a way that people are going to make some really important decisions, including what are the cultures that hold people down versus lift them up? What are the cultures who care about people individually and don't make everyone try to become them, right? So with your your newsletter, we'll, we will mm-hmm. put a link, everyone, in the show notes for this. How did that come about? Your newsletter on belonging, future mm-hmm. of belonging, I believe is what it's called? Yes. It came about, as I said before, kind of, you know, in an academic sense, seeing those like, three forces. I think also from my own personal life, I've always been someone who sort of questioned like where I belong and in different spaces. From religious perspective, I grew up like very Catholic and then didn't really feel like I identified with the church. I grew up in Texas, but didn't really feel like I was from there. So I moved around a lot as an adult and lived in a lot of different countries. A lot in my professional life, I've just wanted to connect with people. So I've always kind of created like pop-up event series and bringing people together in new and interesting ways. You know, even I was actually just connecting with a new friend that I made last year, around this time last year, I hosted a dinner at my house because I was just like, you know, women don't get to talk about finance in a lot of ways. Like before, like you decide to buy the house, what is the the process that comes up before that? Then figuring out what that looks like instead of creating space to talk about those conversations. So I think that's always been part of me. And so some of this is like a personal curiosity. You know, it's a very overwhelming topic. So I didn't want to tackle it alone. And then the other thing is, is that because it was really about learning, I thought that there was a lot of value about being vulnerable and doing that learning in public and doing it in an iterative fashion. And so that's really where the newsletter format really came about. And it's been amazing because it's really wonderful to create dialogue with people, you know, having the email responses and comments from folks to be able to kind of learn about other work that people are doing, uncover like really promising approaches that are coming forward. There's a project that I've been doing now that actually came out of, I started doing meetups with folks from the newsletter, for example. And so we'd come together roughly once a month and kind of do like more interactive, like future forward games and doing those together. And now we're doing a more longstanding project that we're doing now to build um, scenarios, one. And then the second thing is to build what are called artifacts from the future. And it's all oriented around like, how can we re-envision belonging at work specifically? It came out of, a meetup that we did at the end of last year that was, again, looking at the sort of historical perspective of what are all the forces that we look at in the workplace 
And basically what we came to this consensus is it's like, oh, the American workplace, you know, has this history of kind of command and control hierarchy, kind of command and control hierarchy, like you're saying, and then like culturally, like wanting to bend everyone to this, this sort of like unitary workplace culture and oftentimes being a place of trauma, harassment, discrimination, oppression, like really sort of reinforcing and doubling down some of the things that we see socially. And so it's been a series of 10 events meeting once a week, coming together to gradually build to creating these scenarios and eventually these artifacts to rethink what would the workplace, for example, look like if we didn't have so much of the sort of administration of of the organization be involved around spying our employees, for example, like we see a lot of like companies doing a lot of surveillance of their employees. You know, what does it look like if you kind of change notions of, of governance? Like when you have employee run organizations, what does it look like if you change the nature of the financial incentives, if you stop rewarding and sort of individual performance bonuses, but are really looking at rewarding teams and what teams are able to produce and honoring the collective effort that usually is what work is needed for rather than the sort of individual contributor that may be visible because of their demographic identity rather than maybe the contribution to the work. And so that's been a lot of the work that we've done thus far and getting to or about to start the scenarios next week. So it's a really exciting process and also a nice collective effort, you know, for all of us to create these visions together. And then also, again, share them with the world to kind of say, you know, you know, what is missing from this? Like, what, what else would you need to see how does this sort of employ our ability to not have the future of work kind of be determined by companies that are building the technologies that are doing them, but ones that are really centered around work being a place of health and healing and connection. And so that's really what that work is focused on. Yeah, I think the way you just described the workplace and what has been compared to what could or in some cases should be Right. I mean, what I just heard you mention was you unpack that viewing employment differently and viewing employee structures differently is something that you're really encouraging people to think about. Yes. And we've been doing a lot of that. It's all on a public mirror board. You can kind of see the iterative thought process. Yeah. I saw that on your newsletter site. Yes. So is that something people can participate in or? Yes, it's completely open. It's Monday evenings at 5.30 Pacific. So, you know, sometime, but we've had, you know, someone joined from Australia before trying to get, I've had a few people who are like located in Europe. That's a challenging time zone for them. I leave the board public. So if people want to participate asynchronously that, that they can and try and it's a, a way in doing futures research that I've never done before. And I'm not familiar with folks who, who necessarily have. And so it's, it's an experiment as so much of all of this work really is an experiment in what, what can be done together, what can be learned together and what can be acted upon as well. And so it's open for everyone to participate in. How many people actively today participate in it? Um, it varies. So we've had as many as 20 on a single session. And then sometimes it's like nine or 10. There's a number of different people who have signed up and therefore you know, again, have access to the mirror board. So I've seen like different kind of comments and people kind of adding different resources to it. So I don't have a sense of the true overall number, but certainly a lot of people. I think what you're describing, Vanessa, is the ability to think differently, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and get people acknowledging the fact that what has taken place is going to 
has highlighted a tremendous amount of inequities. It has highlighted a lot of difficulty that people have lived silently in for a long time. You know, the pandemic, the experience that we went through, hopefully has shined a very bright and fast magnifying lens on some serious disparities in our in our country and in our world. And this whole rethinking of what the future is versus just saying, let's get back to, you know, the way it was. There's many people who don't want to go back to the way it was, right? Exactly. And I've been talking a lot more, you know, IFTF like has done a lot of work in the last few years just trying to kind of democratize access to futures thinking. So we have a Coursera course. That of course is if you don't want the certification, the course is completely free. And so, you know, finding ways for people to have these ways of thinking and sort of structured sort of methods and sort of doing that because I firmly believe that imagination is not a luxury. It's a right. We aren't going to be able to move forward. Like we are all held, held back like as a society, if we have these inequities, they hurt all of us, even those who aren't sort of directly subject to their, their harms. And so, you know, having sort of the ability of everyone to imagine, having the capability to imagine, and especially having that ability to imagine together is just so incredibly powerful because like that's necessary for change to happen. And so the more that I can facilitate that happening, the better off, I think, you know, that's my contribution, at least for belonging is, you know, having this conversation be as open and participatory as at least I can make it as me just now and trying to find others to support that as well. Yeah. And the people who I'm are gravitating towards this that are coming alongside of you and participate in the conversations and providing you insights and perspectives. I mean, that's how you're gaining much of the knowledge of what's being shared on the both the negative effects and the potential positive outcomes. So I'm, you know, inviting our listening audience to learn as much as you can about this work that Vanessa Mason is leading. Take the opportunity and subscribe to her Future of Belonging newsletter. Also, if you're listening to this before March 4th, 2021, we want to encourage you to go to leadershipcouncil.us, leadershipcouncil.us, and look into registering for the Securing the Future conference, no matter where you are. Vanessa, we have listeners from all over the world in this podcast. You know, one of the blessings and unique opportunities is for a conference like this that so many of us in that reside in our physical location have been able to enjoy. People around the world can now participate more freely in good quality content, right? And events and not be held back by the barriers and limitations of physical space has been something that has been a unique. So I invite everyone to go to leadershipcouncil.us. This is the all about the Securing the Future conference where Vanessa is the keynote. And we're talking about belonging as it describes around loneliness, disaffiliation, and displacement, and how belonging has never been more important for humans, but also in some cases, also never been more difficult for people to find that connection. So Vanessa, as you look at what is your hope that the work that you're doing, the commitment that you're making, both you and your organization at the Institute for the Future, what is your hope for the future? I think my hope for the future is that you've highlighted a lot of the negativity is that 
we find ways of making that not all be for naught, that we take this opportunity to take action and actively not just decide at a moment in time, but continuously commit to like making a world that has greater belonging. And so that's my hope that I think, you know, by a little effort by everyone is a grand effort by all. And I think, you know, I've been telling people even that with the pandemic, you know, we don't really think about this enough that by social distancing, by every single individual collectively social distancing, like how many lives have we saved by that like one effort? It's a really acute reminder that we don't have to do big grand things that end up in the news. Like there are small ways and continuous ways in which we can really change the lives of people in very deep, profound ways. And so it's encouraging people that that's something that you have control over. Yeah, Vanessa, when we think through the, how quickly the world shut down, how quickly the world responded to a situation once it became apparent that there's a significant health pandemic taking place and how quickly things changed, right? I mean, think of organizations who never would have even allowed anyone to talk about working remotely, right? There was a world, I'm one of them that had, you know, majority of our workforce has been remote for years, but many organizations that never would have even thought about having a discussion about it within days were 100% remote. And the reason why I highlight that is you that are listening, we have all experienced significant radical change that took place within hours and days, not years and decades. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we all have the ability to make the world the way it should be so that all people feel like they are valued, heard, and understood, and all people feel loved, cared for, respected. We have the ability to do that. And part of me prays and hopes that what we've all experienced makes us think differently about the future and not go back to the way it was. Because there's so many inequities that go on in our world. There's so many that are just blind to what most, how most people live and experience life. You know, that's one area. If there's, there is any positives of what we've experienced, boy, we've seen it. We've seen a example of how quickly life can shift. And we too, to your point, Vanessa, of, of all of us make incremental change in our own hearts and our own views and our perspectives and our environments. We can change the world for people who don't feel as connected or have had microaggressions their entire career or have had these experiences that would make most people's stomach hurt in turn, right? Yeah. Those are like the daily things. And then certainly like in, you know, big game changing, shifting ways too, like, you know, economic inequality is is something like we don't have to have that. Like that's a matter of choice and well, who we compensate, what we choose to compensate for. Like there's just so many different ways in which that change can happen in very impactful ways. And so, like you said, like this is sort of open, open the window into what kinds of changes are possible. And so hopefully we're all sort of taking, you know, a moment, you know, where possible to say, you know, well, if all of this is possible out of, you know, being compelled to, what becomes possible when we do this by choice? 
when we're doing this out of a sense of aspiration and hope and opportunity for the world to be different. Well, to those listening today, thank you for your time. Uh, You've been spending time with Vanessa Mason, Research Director of Institute for the Future, a well-being design futurist who is also the keynote speaker for March 4th, 2021, Securing the Future Conference. So Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It was really great. Looking forward to meeting all of you on March 4th. And I want to encourage everyone to check out leadershipcouncil.us. I want to thank the Leadership Council for Nonprofits for allowing us to come alongside of your impactful, empowering, and productive work in this world for the last few years. The Securing the Future Conference is a great way to think about the way things should be and will be if we all put our hearts and minds and feet, right? I had a friend recently, Vanessa, on one of our episodes say, it's not just a matter of the stir you have in your heart, it's the action you take with your feet, right? I agree with that. We talk about allyship a lot and we can talk about it all we want, but we need action. You know, we need success partners. We need people to come alongside and help everyone rise up. I want to thank Jenny Berg for her leadership, Jack Fitzgerald for his leadership, all of the sponsors for the Leadership Council for Nonprofits, as well as the Securing the Future Conference, and all of the board members and advisors and partners of the Leadership Council for Nonprofits that committed themselves to uh, changing the world one day at a time. So, Vanessa, I'm so glad we were able to share this discussion with our listeners. And to those listening, thank you for caring. Thank you for being a leader worth following and being a part of this great community at the Talent Magnet Institute. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.